Welcome back to More Than Tracy Turnblad, the podcast about fat representation in the arts. My name is Abby Rose Morris, and today I'm talking with Joshua R. Pangborn. He's a writer, actor, filmmaker, and founder of Sidekick Productions, which focuses on telling LGBTQ plus body positive stories. So lots of really cool things to talk about today. I'm super excited. Hope everybody had a happy new year. I know this time of year can be hard with the internalized fat phobia. So I'm sending you all love and support. So I have been watching Euphoria, and today I want to talk on this little intro segment about Cat. So I was really curious to check it out. I thought I was going to hate it, to be honest. I, I went in with very low expectations. I love Barbie Ferreira. I think she's one of the most beautiful people who's ever lived, and she's so talented. And I also was just, I had seen some sort of criticism of this character online. But after I watched it, I kind of loved it. So for those of you who don't know and haven't seen Euphoria, this is about to have a ton of spoilers. So like if you haven't seen the full season, definitely skip, skip, skip forward because I'm about to reveal it all, at least as far as Kat is concerned. So basically this character of Kat, she's like sort of friends with the popular girls, uh, but she's like the only virgin at the beginning of the show. She's like really very aware of her size and feeling like ugly and I found this these moments extremely relatable like hanging out with all your like pretty thin friends but what happens with Kat is she like goes on this quest to lose her virginity it's like a super painful scene where she's like sort of being dared to like do sexual things with these guys and she's like she does it kind of for like the clout it seems and just to get it over with so she can like not have to be a virgin anymore so then after she loses her virginity in this way the video gets posted online and she finds it on a porn site where a bunch of people men are like commenting about how much they love her how much they love her body how they think she's sexy And so she ends up just becoming a dominatrix and getting paid for it, like a financial sort of dominatrix. And um, she ends up feeling like very empowered and sort of going around like having sex with various men. And you can tell that like it's empowering her, making her feel valuable. And I have not had that experience, but I have talked to a lot of fat people who have had the experience of feeling like, oh, people are sexually attracted to me and that's like my power and like it's an empowering thing to have sex with usually men, you know, whether or not you care about them or even want to have sex with them just like for the kick of like validation and feeling powerful. And you see this so clearly with Kat, but then you also see that like her lab science partner is clearly like into her, wants to date her, and she just doesn't get it, not picking up the signals at all whatsoever. Then she sees him talking to, like, this super, like, skinny, hot, blonde girl at, like, a carnival that they went to together, and she immediately assumes that he actually wants to be with that girl and not her, when the truth is that's not what the situation was at all. She just assumes that, so she, like, freezes him out. And her arc in the season is is that she basically finds out that she was wrong in assuming that and then she and this guy end up finally like getting together in the last couple of episodes and it's really sweet and I I feel like what that arc is saying is like Kat had 
you know, felt like she had no value to men. Then she felt like she had value sexually, but not romantically. And I know that's the experience of a lot of fat people. And it was a great one to see in media. So I'm super glad that they did that. And that as of this season, they've resolved it with her, like, having this beautiful character development. So I'm super excited to see what happens to her in season two. I will say the one thing that I really do not like is in Kat's like origin story episode. Basically, it's revealed that her origin story is that she went on vacation with her family, drank a bunch of pina coladas and then gained 20 pounds. And then when she got back, her like, you know, middle school boyfriend dumped her. And, like, she knew it was because of her body. And then a big turning point later on is that she, like, sleeps with him again and he doesn't even remember that they, like, fake dated in middle school. (laughs) So there's two things about this that I don't like. The first one is that um, drinking a bunch of pina coladas on your, like, one-week vacation probably won't, like, I just feel like that's a little bit unrealistic to, like, gain this amount of weight permanently and stay fat forever because you drank a few like sugary drinks one time that just seems like very like that's just a lot to me that that just seems a little unrealistic to me I feel like it could make some young viewer very very afraid of drinking sugary drinks or like of eating a lot of sugar one time because like that like ruined her life so you know what I mean like this this amount of pina coladas that she drank like ruined her entire life. I mean that's that's a dramatic overstatement, but like I just feel like it's I'm so over like oh this is the food that made the character fat. You have to go back to the story and see when they ate too much for this one moment in their life. And then like in the bulk of the show we see cat like on diets eating only grapefruit and stuff like that. So that that part bothered me cuz I feel like it was really kind of moralizing her fatness even though it didn't condone the way others treated her because of it. And then the second thing that kind of bothered me was just that like Oh, it was like a boy's rejection that was like so foundational to her and made her like, like it. I mean, I guess a lot of the characters arc is living to please men, but or like having this conflicted relationship with the ability to please men. But um, that also was like, oh, could you get more cliche? Like it's really Martha Dunstock kindergarten boyfriend all over again. Um, But in the present, I really love Kat and I think she's a pretty like deep character. It shows her like sexual liberation as being empowering, but it also shows like the drawbacks of that, the negative sides of that and how it like impacts her in ways that are both really positive and not so positive. Like at the same time that it is empowering, she also is compensating. So I think she's a really great character. I'm very impressed. I've never seen a fat character like her with this kind of an arc that really deals with the complexities of not being conventionally attractive and then finding out people are attracted to you. The other thing that I will say about Kat is I know a lot of folks' complaints about her are that she is not really fat, like she's not fat enough. Um, I hear you. I get that. She's definitely very much like Hollywood fat, entertainment fat. She's like... I don't know what size Barbie Frere is. She's probably mid-size, but she is significantly fatter than every other person on the show. And unfortunately, I think it reads, I wish that she was fatter, but I also, 
I, I, I can't really speak on this because again, it, this hasn't been my experience. I do wonder if somebody who is, you know, only entertainment fat, only midsize, whatever it may be with Barbie Ferreira's like gorgeous face and gorgeous curves and like proportions and like is extremely conventionally attractive despite not being skinny. Like I do wonder if the experience that Kat is having is specific to that type of body because it hasn't been mine and I'm not shaped like that. So anyway, that's my thoughts on Kat from Euphoria. I am like more impressed by her storyline than I am by any of the other ones in the show. It was very enjoyable. I'm super excited to watch the next season. It was super well done. I desperately want her to be happy and in love with her lab partner. So hopefully they let her be happy, but also it's a TV show that so they probably won't. But you know, I'm I I'm with her on this journey. I support her. I love Barbie Ferreira and I can't wait to see where the story goes. So thank you all for listening. I'm super excited to share with you my interview with Joshua R. Pangborn. So welcome. Thank you so much for having me here today. I'm really excited to be here and talk about this subject because it's really near and dear to my heart. So Gorgeous. So let's start at the very beginning, um, a very good place to start. I think that every time I ask this question, so what is your origin story in the arts? Uh, well, it all began many, many moons ago in the planet of Earth. No, um, <laughs> so, uh, I mean, I guess I've always really been a storyteller. That's, that's what my mother would say. I mean, when I, when I was, I don't remember this, but when I was, four years old, five years old, uh, I would run up to all the grownups and when they're sitting around the kitchen table and I would just start rambling out these absurd stories about animals in the zoo and in their natural uh-huh. habitats and roaming the earth and everything. And, and then I would just, that's what I would do. And then as I got older with action figures, I, I would wake up in the morning knowing I'm going to tell this story today. So I need these action figures to make this happen and make sure that I could be able to act out that story and, and get through the whole tale by the time I was done playing for the day. So uh, I, guess, I guess I've always been a storyteller. And as I got older, um, I, I wanted to be an actor. Uh, I knew that I wanted to act. Um, my first ap- opportunity for that was in fifth grade. Um, and then from there, I did, I did college, uh, high school and, uh, and middle school uh, drama club. Uh, and... and I, I was like, I'm not going to be able to do this professionally because I have to be responsible and have a job. And so uh, I was like, I won't major in theater, even though I really want to. And then, of course, I got to college and two months into college, I started to major in theater. So I mean, <laughs> uh, that, though, though, that didn't go into the way I planned at all. But um, mm-hmm. so, yeah, I, I, I guess I don't remember anything that, that defined the moment uh, of making me uh, an, an artist, uh, but it, it sort of... I think something I was always been and, and uh, yeah. <laughs> totally, totally. And uh, maybe I should rephrase that question because it's not about a moment. It's just like, how did we get here? You know? Totally. But, uh, but I, I think that some people, it is, it is a moment that they've, they've met, they meet someone or they right. have this, this, this really just uh, amazing experience. And they're like, this is what I need to do. I, I think, I, I think I probably can also attribute a lot to my grandmother. I think my grandmother mm-hmm. is somebody who, uh, had she been born in a different generation, she probably would have been a uh, 
somebody to pursue the arts. But yeah. being the generation that she was born in, she she was a housewife. She was a, uh, the proper the proper woman to to be at home and take care of the family. But she was such a brilliant creator. I mean, she would do uh, she she. She would make all made all our Halloween costumes when I was a child. My grandmother like, like, too. She like stitch them, and it, it was it was just amazing <laughs> yeah. things that we had. Uh, it, everyone else had these, uh, and they're nice, of course, the, the nice store bought costumes. But uh, right. my my grandmother made these really amazing things, uh, and she she would take me to plays. She would take me to uh, to things. I, I grew up in a small town, very small town, so mm-hmm. I didn't have a lot of opportunities for the arts. Uh, but where there was were, my grandmother would take me there, and so. She probably fostered something in me that uh, that no one else did, and yeah. I'm I'm very fortunate that that she did because uh, I'm here today this doing this stuff. So she sounds a lot like my grandmother. Actually, my grandmother was a fashion illustrator, and she gave it up to be a you know a mom, mm-hmm. and um, she was a an artist for so long. She went to design school, and she would always sew me clothes, and she taught me how to sew very badly i still i'm I'm bad at it but (laughs) i I have the same problem she taught me these things and i i I have them back here somewhere in my head but they don't come out when my fingers do the work right right (laughs) so um throughout your like performing early life when did size start to show up for you and like when did you realize that that it was factoring into you know how performers are viewed so i I don't know if I realized it at the time. Um, I, I, uh, I grew up in, like I said, a small town. So I, w- I was really lucky to be, uh, without trying to sound, uh, trying to sound humble is very hard sometimes yeah. <laughs> when, you're, when, you're, when you're trying to talk about this stuff. It's, it's, but I, I was a big fish in a small pond, uh, literally and figuratively, I guess. <laughs> um, uh, and so I was very fortunate because when you're from a small town, there's not a lot of boys who want to do uh, um, theater. And so uh, I got to do a lot of really awesome parts and, and, and be the lead. And I was also really, really lucky that I have a, a, a brain that, that is pretty fast at, at memorizing dialogue. So I would do all my auditions um, off book when I would go in for the auditions for everything. Oh yeah. So um, I had that, op- I had that option. So they sort of, that that all meant that I got a lot of really good. Oh yeah, totally. The boys I grew up doing theater with that could not memorize for shit. So, um, famously, my eighth grade show, the guy playing the lead was reading the lyrics off of his hand and still oh, got them wrong. What show is that? Annie, get your gun. Oh no, no. A cringe, oh. a cringe experience in many, many, many ways. Absolutely. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, I guess I, I guess if I think back to the first play I did, though. Um, as an adult, I, I'm thinking back on this. Um, this is where I, I really notice it as an adult. Because uh, I, I, my fifth grade class wanted to do a production of Romeo and Juliet. And uh, it was obviously, it was, it was written for elementary school students. It wasn't like the, the, yeah. uh, the full play and everything. But I, I went into that audition and I had memorized the entire play for Romeo. Because I wanted to be Romeo because he was the lead. And I'm fifth yeah. grade. I, I'm like, I want to be the lead. Uh, who yeah. doesn't want to be the lead when you're in fifth grade? Uh, so, totally, totally, um, totally. Especially when you're like that theater kid who tells the stories and who wants to be the center of attention. <laughs> exactly. And I'm like, we're doing a play? That's so amazing. I've wanted to yeah. do this forever. 
sure. I'm going to go and do Totally. A and like when I got older and could think a little more critically about it and I think like my, my love for acting kind of deepened and I had new reasons that I liked it, then I was like, okay, well, maybe it's more interesting to play a role that isn't the lead. But you know, when you're little and you just want to be on stage and do the thing as much as you possibly can, especially I remember like doing middle school shows and it was like, this is the one time of the year when you get to perform. So like mm-hmm. <laughs> the stakes feel so, so high. You only, you only get, you only get three days in that middle school or that high school production, oh three days God. and then that's it. And then, and then after the rest of it, it's just like go to school and do the school stuff. I remember literally in elementary and middle school, like I would watch the clock and be like, everything that I'm doing that's not theater is like just passing time until I get to do theater again. I totally relate to yeah. that. I, I mean, it was, it was, it was, it was like, okay, this class is done and then this class is done and then this class is done and then theater. So mm-hmm. perfect. Uh, I could get to that. And then it was two to ha- two and a half hours of pure joy. And then, then you have to go home and do homework. But <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so needless to say, I did not land the role of Romeo, despite knowing every single line before the actual auditions happened. It's pretty uh, fucking impressive for a fifth grader. <laughs> I was I was pretty proud of myself. Uh, yeah. uh, and and I was cast as Friar Lawrence, which which is still a, which is actually a fantastic part. I mean, Friar it Lawrence. It is. It's totally really, a fat role though. It's like uh, definitely that one where but the fat is. people get pushed. It's a fat role. This is this mm-hmm. is what you give to the fat guy. <laughs> yeah, and the fat and girl is the nurse. You don't cast Romeo <laughs> in, as as a fat guy. And yeah. I, and I I didn't I now I realize that because they cast probably what would be considered now the most handsome kid out of the entire entire group of people in the role of Romeo. Um, doesn't matter if he was very good at it, but and I bet he read off his hand. <laughs> uh. And then and then after that, I mean, in middle school and high school, looking back, a lot of the roles I got were the fat guy roles, but I also were the roles that I sort of like. I my drama teacher sort of pushed me in that direction, but also at the same time. They were the roles I mostly wanted at the time, anyway. So I was, I was really li- like, like, um, in when I did Little Abner, I was Pappy Yoakum, and and I mean that's just a that's just a fun role. But again, it's a, it's an old man fat guy role, so it's, right. it's what it is. But then I got I got the really great opportunity um, to do uh, Hysterium in in, in um, funny, funny thing happened on the way to the forum, and that was really really fun to do. And I, I got to, but uh, I I had my teacher talk about uh, uh, how. Um, not my drama teacher, but my, my history teacher. He went to the play. He was very supportive of everything, and he, uh, which is odd for him for a small town. Uh, mm-hmm. But he made sure to mention that he saw the ugliest woman uh, at the, uh, in the show because um, Historium has his drag moment and everything. Right. Uh, and and of course he was talking about me because in the mixture. And so it's it's would it be different if I if if I were a more handsome or beautiful woman at the time? I don't know. I mean those that's the kind of thing that you that you wonder now. Plus, I'm also in 11th grade at the time, so it's like... Yeah, that's, like, pretty inappropriate. But I, I think I think that... Uh, and, and then when I got to, to college, um, I think that my teachers were a lot more subtle about the, the fat phobia in issue in, uh, in the arts uh, because I didn't have... Uh, I've had friends who've literally had teachers tell them, you're too fat, you need to lose weight to do this. Um, yeah. And, uh, and I think I think you've had that experience too. More in middle and high school, actually, my college was a lot more subtle about it. And, and I guess that's why they're in college teachers and not in middle school right. and high school. Right. But uh, <laughs> but it was the same uh, for me. Uh, again, I went to all my auditions off book. I knew everything um, ahead of time, uh, and I, I, I they they were all impressed by me in some way, shape, or form. But they also made sure that they 
push me in the direction of, well, he's also really smart. So he's going to be in the dramaturge roles or he's going to be doing the, the roles backstage of, of uh, like being the stage manager. Um, there, was, there was one production that they did of, of, an, of an abstract Macbeth project uh, where everyone was in corsets the whole time. And, and I, 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 I didn't get the, a role in it. Um, but I, because the next, uh, I found out that I was also taking stage managing that semester and they really, really, A, didn't want me in corsets and B, uh, wanted me to be the stage manager for the, for the production. Oh, I hate um, that. And it's just, it's, it's like, I, I mean, I, I, I got them because I actually couldn't do the stage manager for that production because I was out of town for hell week and uh, for tech week. And so I, I wasn't able to right. do that. But, uh, but it, it's, it's that kind of thing that, that made me go, well, maybe I can't be a performer and that's okay. I can do something else. I could be a writer and I, cause I love telling stories. And I, I went into that direction. And then basically from when I graduated college in 2005 until 2014, I did not act ever um, because I didn't think I could. I didn't think I was the kind of person that could be a professional actor. Wow. That is so interesting. Then how did you get back into it? Well, I, I, I still wanted to do arts and everything. And I, I wanted to, to be an artist. And I was a writer. I was writing plays. And I decided that I, I started my theater companies. Um, I had two theater companies. I, I did one right out of college. Uh, and then that sort of fell apart after three years um, for, for, for love reasons. And that's another whole other story. Oh boy. <laughs> um, uh, basically, I started it with my, my, my boyfriend at the time. And uh, we ended up not staying boyfriends for, our, for the rest of our lives, which yeah, shocking. Who knew that would happen when you're 21? Uh, <laughs> But and then and then about two or three years later, I started uh, what is now Psychic Productions, uh, and I uh, I knew when I started Psychic Productions, I wanted to actually be more than just a production company that produced my plays uh, because uh, I mean and that, that's very important, but I mean I also wanted to, to have a purpose with it, and so I from the beginning I knew that Psychic Productions was going to do what I called size blind casting, which was the idea of casting uh, people for the role, regardless of their body type, unless it was specified in the writing that a person had to be a specific body type for whatever reason. Um, yeah. And so I, I did that and I did a lot of, uh, a, a couple shows and everything. And I started to get really uh, more into the world of New York City theater. And I realized I, I did a lot of auditions and I'm like, there's a lot of people who audition who, who, who my school would have said shouldn't be auditioning. And so if they can do it, why can't I? So and other so, people who were like not conventionally attractive or other yeah. people who were just like not good? <laughs> uh, both. Um, really a little you. bit of both. <laughs> I mean, I mean if, if they're auditioning. When I see a bad actor on TV, I'm like, I can do this. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, if they're here, they're getting roles. Look at this resume. They're getting things. And, yeah. And they just, they just crapped all over my script. Uh, so if they can do it, then how can I? For sure. <laughs> um. So I finished my doctoral classes, my doctorate in 2014. Oh, and wow. I'm like, I've got so much more time now. I still have a full-time job, of course, but I want to try this at least and say I've at least tried acting in New York City. And so I, I said, let's, let's just do it. And so I did. And, uh, and since then, I have been performing. Uh, I, again, the full-time job keeps me from performing regularly, but I, I perform a lot more than I ever thought I would. Yeah. And it's really awesome. What's your PhD in? Um, in English literature with a focus on dramatic and mythological uh, uh, oh, stories. 
Wow, that's so cool. That's so cool. Is that um, it's so interesting what you said about being told you were like sort of too smart to be an actor, being placed behind the scenes. I feel like that really happened to me as well. Um, <laughs> and I think that it's a weird thing because the, f- the big fat trope is being dumb, right? Like that happens all the time. But I think that trope uh, is something that I struggle with now trying to get roles because I nobody will cast me as the, the stupid fat guy. Oh, um, that's very I get called in for it. I get called in because I look the part. Uh-huh. But no one will cast me because I don't sound the part. And I and I, I admit I am not good enough at, at changing my acting to to dumb myself down. I'm I'm my type, if you go with the the lingo of the, the biz, of course, is, right. is, is 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 probably like IT guy or or professor or something. And so when I get a call in for a night for a commercial or something that they want stupid fat guy at a barbecue. I don't get it because I don't, I don't come off that way. Um, yeah, that makes sense. I have also struggled with dumbing myself down for those sorts of roles, especially when like what you're taught in theater school and like I'm all, I was always kind of a by the book type learner. Like I always wanted to do it the way that I was shown to do it mostly, um, especially when I was younger. So like you know, we're taught like Uta Hagen and Stanislavski and like Mm -hmm. make your like nine essential questions and uh, like write out your character's backstory and all these things. And then when you're expected to do a character that's just like throwing yourself around the stage, like eating, falling down, farting, like Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's really hard to like just do that and not feel like, oh, I'm a bad actor because I'm not doing the work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah, it's really, really hard. I think for me, the other side of not getting those roles also is is um, is my my, uh, my 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 sexuality and queerness and everything. I think that mm. that coupled with my size makes it really hard to cast me uh, because I think that people want to cast me as that dumb trucker type or that that dumb uh, like that dumb schlub from the construction site guy. But I also I I'm, I, I think I come off a little more overtly. Uh, queer than 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 what they're looking for in that sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that and my size and actually my height. So I've got three things that all sort of make it complicated to cast because I've had agents turn me down because my height is is I'm too, I'm too short. I'm five foot three. So oh, that's surprising to me. I feel like a lot of times those like stupid fat guy characters are short. They are no totally. But if you look at like if you look at New Girl, because um, I know you mm-hmm. talk about New Girl, I've seen you talk about it. Uh, if you uh-huh. look at New Girl and Josh Gad's character on, on New Girl, I mean, he's there for like two or three episodes, uh, but he he is very much the pinnacle of the stupid fat guy on that show. Yeah, and and he but he and he's shorter than everybody else, so he's he's able to to get that role right. It's like the Danny DeVito kind of vibes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's 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 interesting. It's it's tough in in a lot of ways to to deal with with what they expect you to be, and also right um, try to be something different. <laughs> it's just wild to think like the weird things that get grouped together when it's like not necessarily true. Like oh, like you're you're fat, so you can't be queer, so you can't mm-hmm. be tall. Like what? You yeah. know what I mean? Like why do those things have to exist in this certain combination? It's so it's so frustrating. Like I, I see a role that I know I would love to do, um, and I write to them like, hey, it'd be really great if you cast a queer person in this role uh, who looks different than every other 
queer person that you see on television. Oh my god, uh, so true. Let's talk about this. <laughs> <sure>. <laughs> Drives me crazy. Uh, I'm so, that's why I'm so frustrated by the queerest uh, folk reboot. I mean, everyone is so so. I mean, they're doing great with diversity in terms of of, of race, in terms of of uh, yeah. I- gender identity, but they're doing terrible when it comes to physical body type. Literally, like it's like it's like they'll do diversity up until a point where it's mm-hmm. like not it's not skinny like mm-hmm. or up into a point where it's not like considered attractive mm-hmm. like that's where the line is and it's so frustrating because it, it, there's such there there are there are shows that do try to do this and i, I you see more of them but it, uh-huh. again it's just like one person in it or it's, it's just uh and so many times the, the stories are, are again related to I like to tell a lot of stories that don't have to physically do with the person's body type. They just happen to be played by a person who is not, uh, not thin. And yeah. that, that a lot of time the person's body type becomes the, the reason that they're in the story. So true. Cause it's like, otherwise they're going to take any possible reason they can to cast somebody who's more like fits the aesthetic. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is so apparent with queer stuff too. I'm, it's it's really interesting to me how like a lot of the time there's like one very specific image of a non-binary person that's allowed on TV. Mm-hmm. A lot of the lesbians are femme. A lot of like the couples have this like just everybody's skinny, especially mm-hmm. if it's a show where there's sex like the L word or something like that. Oh, totally. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's, that's why I love <laughs> and even in the um, reboot, even in the reboot, because in the reboot, you get better diversity in terms of race, in terms of treating like gender queerness better. Mm-hmm. Um, but still everybody's skinny pretty much. And that's what was so really cool about, I don't know if you've watched Chucky or, or, or the, the, know the series at all, uh, but Ch- um, Jennifer Tilly, who, who's not, I wouldn't call Jennifer Tilly a, a plus size or fat. Really, really, I don't call her that. But she's We'd definitely- entertainment fat. She's entertainment fat for sure. Um, yeah. she, she's definitely that say, but she has, a, she has a full-on sex scene where she's in her lingerie uh, with another woman, and it's it's just really exciting to see that she's a woman who's also older, so she's I think in her maybe fifties, but could be sixties. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she's and she's having a lesbian scene with with another woman on on network TV, and and it's that was really exciting wow. to see in a lot of ways because you just uh, you just don't see that kind of representation. And yeah, most of the people on Chucky were very very thin, so I mean it's it's what it is. I mean I, I'm not look I'm not giving it a huge win, but I mean it's like oh that was like right. <laughs> I mean, we can recognize it as a win while still yeah. also recognizing we have a lot further to go. Like, Mike, I think Mike and Molly is a great example of that because you've got okay. Mike and Molly where you've got these two plus size leads who are in basically every scene, but they never, ever have sex. Uh, yeah. Ever once. <sighs> they, you actually see them in the same bed finally, but, they, they, but they're always fully clothed. Uh, the covers are usually off of them. And is it a plot point that they don't have sex, or they just no, never do? It's and just, it's never mentioned. It's just they're they're a married couple. They're they're a husband and wife, and they never. You, they, we know they have sex because they talk about trying to have babies, and they talk about all this. Oh stuff. My God. You just never. Oh, it's so funny. It. Fat people can't have sex, but they can be mothers. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it's it's like the stork comes and delivers the baby because that's the only way it happens. Uh, but mm. it, it, and this is a CBS show that that that. The first season of the show is really relies on a lot of fat jokes because it's all about them being and Mike and Molly. Yeah, it's it's all about them being an Overeaters Anonymous. The show evolves past that in some ways. Uh, yeah, it still does. It still does a lot of fat jokes throughout the season, the shows. Mm-hmm. But um, the thing that bugs me the most is just that they don't have 
they're they're shown as very they, they, the same thing happens to them that happens to gays on network television uh, les, ne- yeah. gays and lesbians it sort of it, it makes them eunuchs basically uh it's Ooh, the idea yes. of, of reducing their sexuality to to non-existent it makes them safe and all uh, yeah and i think sexuality aside I, I, like speaking a little more on Mike and Molly, and I think mm-hmm. this also happens with This Is Us, when you have a fat main character or probably a main character from any marginalized group, when they are that much of a presence in the show and in every scene, like you said, then even if it starts as like a very stereotypical kind of thing, they're going to have to evolve deeper because mm-hmm. there's just not that much material there, which is why I I support fat leads. And I think it's Absolutely. very, very important. Absolutely. Yeah. I completely agree. Cause because you can't only you can only get so far with, with after five seasons of the same one joke. So you have to do something more. Um otherwise mm-hmm. it's but uh but you just don't see that very often. Um there was a really uh not a very good show, but it was on NBC for uh, um a little while. It was about a guy who owned a bar and uh his other friend and of course he owned a bar everybody owns a bar in television everybody Um, owns a bar (laughs) uh, one of the characters was uh was a plus-size gay british guy oh he again you didn't see much of him you didn't have very much of a life outside of the bar you didn't see him really interacting with other men or or anyone really uh any sort of like dating capacity but it was again it was one of those rare times of on network tv where you see a plus-size gay person and that was yeah that was pretty cool i thought that's really Again, great. Uh, a win without winning completely. So. <laughs> right, right. Uh, Guy Branham has written so much great stuff about this. If you haven't read his book, you must. I'll have to. Um, um, I haven't read that so, one. It's so, so good. It's so good. It's one of my favorite fat books. It sh- it's, I should make a, a recommendation list. It would definitely be on it. Totally. Um, that I think would it's be called really, My really Life as a Goddess. So oh, that good. sounds really interesting. Oh, that must be great. Yeah, it's it's so it's so good. And there's also a really great essay about um, dancing in mm-hmm. there that and and he mentions Tracy Turnblad in it. So good. So good. Highly recommend. Actually, that reminds me of um, uh, something from college. It's an experience I had my probably my most overt thing that I talked about in college. Uh, I took a because we, we had to do a dance and theater major. So it was we had to take some dance classes. Um, so I took modern dance. This is the first dance class I ever took in my life. So I was like, oh, this is terrifying. And um, in order to uh, be approved by the government, by, 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 the, by, the, by the state and everything, you have to have some sort of academic component to this because it's not a BFA program. It's, it's, a, it's a BA program. But with this dance class, uh, I remember uh, we, I had a, we had to do a report on a dance company that was active. So I, I, think, I, I think it was Bill T. Jones's company at the time. And uh, they had a, com- a performer who was a very plus size dancer. He and uh, and it was a man too. So again, you don't see a lot of uh, men in dancing classes doing things like that. So so I I was really excited by that, and I remember talking to my teacher and putting that in my report, and she was very dismissive. She's like, "Well, yeah, that's his shtick. He's the big guy who dances." So uh, and I'm like, "Well, but he's doing it. I mean, you don't see anyone else doing that. So that's really awesome." And to be so dismissive of the fact that he's trailblazing for a lot of other people, like if I wanted to be a dancer. I would feel like I couldn't because of her reactions to it and everything. Like, 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 oh, that's the shtick of that guy. You need to, that's, he's just relying on his body for that point. And I'm like, no, that he's using his body to, to succeed. And, and despite the, the people holding him back. So. And it's amazing. I mean, I took years and years of dance and I was always like, I mean, it was always just for theater. So I wasn't like that serious into it, but 
I remember being like, well, I can't really do this because I'm fat. And then I, I got to college and also social media has been huge for people like, um, like Amanda LeCount and like Mimi Scardula, like people who are just being fat and dancing on the internet. Um, but then I got to college and I met some dance majors who were fat and like someone was like, oh yeah, I know this girl. She's a dance major and she's plus size. I was like, what? I didn't know it was possible. I was shocked. You're right. Same thing happened to me. I, I, they weren't majors, but they were people who were very tight with the dancing majors. And yeah. I was like, wait, you, you dance? But, but look at us. We, we're not supposed to. <laughs> like- For sure. And, and also my school had like a really, really top dance program. Mm-hmm. So it was so shocking to me. And, and suddenly I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> and, and, um, you know, I was never sure if I was a really terrible dancer or if I was okay slash like more trained than most of the people at my high school and was just put, being put in the back because I was fat. Mm-hmm. And I like kind of confirmed that I was probably just being put in the back because I was fat. Oh, I'm sure. that That's usually what happens. Uh, it, yeah. it's, it's so frustrating uh, how that works. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So we have talked about body size diversity in dance, theater, film and TV. Let's talk about comics. Yes. Um, yeah, because I know this is an interest of yours. I am. I love. I love comics. Um, I, I, I. Oddly enough, I didn't really love comics until uh, my senior year of college when I first read one. Because I was very. Dis- I, I, I. This is an example of me really being too smart for my own good. Uh, where I was very dismissive of comics. I'm like, well, mm-hmm. I like the concept of the characters, but I can't actually read a comic book. That's that's absurd. <laughs> uh, and so then I. I saw. Uh, I saw one. I picked one up and I read one and I'm like, you know what? I got dozens of eggs on my face right now because this is just a really great medium to tell stories in. So I, I, I love, I love comics, um, but representation in comics is again, very, very bad. Uh, I mean, when you have, uh, when you have, you have characters like Amanda Waller from DC comics, who is an amazing character slash quasi villain. So, I mean, there's, there's elements of that there, uh, but she, she's, she's short, she's stout. Um, she's, uh, sometimes very rotund, depending on the artist. Uh, and she is terrifies most people. And she has no powers, no abilities. She's just a really badass woman who's just uh, looks like someone you wouldn't expect. Who looks like who looks like quote unquote the secretary or something. Uh, right. But then they did a massive wide reboot, as these companies often do. And when they rebooted this character, she was basically Foxy Brown uh, in in two thousand twenty. Uh, so she's tall and thin and glamorous and and with a short page boy cut and all, all these perfect like, so it's just and they take everything that's unique and special about her and turn her into every other female character in a comic book and it's it's very frustrating there you know it's funny because I was like I, I I always am like oh well I'm not into comics never was but I wasn't into superhero comics. I read a crap ton of Peanuts. Oh yeah, like, tons course. of like like vintagey stuff, like Top Cat. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that what it's called? I think it's Top Cat. Um, yeah, like, about, the, like, like a, Garfield, a band of stray cats, right? Yes, but also yeah. Garfield, Calvin and Hobbes, all that kind of stuff. And in those things, there are sometimes fat jokes, but there also are sometimes more lovable fat characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I found I find that cartoon fat animals tend to be the best representation. What? Yeah, I, I, <laughs> Winnie the I, Pooh. I can see that. Anybody? Well, Winnie the Pooh, of course. My goodness, yeah, oh, yeah. everyone An loves icon. him. An icon. And he, he and is, Garfield. Yep, 
Garfield is 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 an icon for adults, I think. <laughs> <He's like> a- <laughs> who who you know is like does like love food so yeah. there's that and like he's very obsessed with food but he's very also unapologetic and has a personality beyond that so and i think it's just easier to draw animals as as rotund characters because there's just that roundness of their bodies is just natural you want them to be cuddly you want them to be something true cool. true whereas whereas when you're trying to draw people you want them to be uh uh, the ideal, like um, uh, ideally form. fuckable, basically. Exactly. Well, yeah. and that's and that's with comics, especially superhero comics, especially mm-hmm. you want that mm-hmm. sort of like fuckability to them, uh, which is why, especially women, are drawn so sexually in so many ways. So much boobs, yeah. So much boobs, so much butt, so much mm-hmm. <laughs> like mm-hmm. like wearing things that you could just never walk in, let alone fight in. Right. But, <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but but they, I I mean. It's interesting to see because even when they have characters who are drawn as plus size in, in, in superhero comics, they're getting cast as something different when they come to live action. Um, right. There was a character that I cosplayed once called Microbe, who is um, uh, about uh, like a three hundred pound, very soft and 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 and, and cuddly guy. Guy uh, when they were they were going to do an adaptation of his comic book, uh, but they cast a very sexy, thin, muscular guy to play him and it's like it, it like, takes away from who he was as a character his yeah. body type and all um i think uh, often they justify it by like saying fat people can't physically handle the fight scenes mm-hmm. and that's why i really love there's one character that i really love called butterball um mm. and his name is his name is meant to be a bad joke because everyone teased him about it because he he was like a an 18 year old guy who is basically just me uh, my body type, basically. Yeah. And uh, and he he got powers. Uh, his power is that he's completely indestructible. He can't be killed. He can't die. He can't. Nothing can happen to him. But otherwise, he's absolutely completely normal. He can't lose weight because his body's stuck in the stasis. He can't gain muscles or anything because his body's stuck in the stasis. So everything about him is just absolutely normal, except he's just invincible. So if they adapted him, they kind of have to adapt him this way because. His name, his very, his name is Butterball because they're teasing him because of how chubby he is. So yeah. you have to do that. So I'm, I'm hoping if they ever adapt him, they keep that the way that is. Literally, why are half of fat characters named something that's like indisputably fat in the name, <laughs> like Fat Albert, Fat Amy, uh, yeah, especially Butter, like <laughs> Butters butter. from South Park. Uh, there, there's, there's an X Men character. There's an X Men character called Fat. P H A T. Uh, that's iconic. His, his ability is to. <laughs> Increase and decrease the amount of fat in his body. Oh God! <laughs> so that's that's his power. Is he can make himself very, very, very fat or not very, very fat. Um, wow. What's interesting about him, though, and I kind of like him, is that he is also gay, and that is oh. such an interesting experience to to see that character. Yeah, he wasn't a very big. He wasn't a very well known character. I shouldn't say big character because obviously he's plus size character but um (laughs) he's he was not a very well-known character and outside of it but i mean he from when i found him i was like this is so cool he's gay and he can he has this he can look like me if he wants to so right when does he in like the stories when does he decide to become fat so he does it uh because he does it for for fighting purposes usually it's to increase his his mass to protect people or to um or to like, like, like as a blockade, kind of like a tank or like a. It, it, That's it, so sick. It is. That's no, the it, least it, fat phobic thing I would ever imagine from a character called fat. I would, yeah, exactly. I would never, <laughs> ever, ever think that. Um, and it's it's such a, it's such a cool. 
concept to have that. And uh, he actually he dies by sacrificing himself, uh, jumping on a, a grenade or something. Uh, he, he blows up his his body to be big enough to absorb the blast, but in, uh, his his skin's not indestructible, so he dies because of the of the grenade. But uh, he does it to protecting everyone around him. So it's a, it's such a cool. Yeah cool concept he's not a fat uh i don't think he's a fat phobic character in any way because of these things right because he can choose to make himself fat and does choose to be fat yes yes that is huge no character in the history of characters i would have thought would be like well yeah i'll be i'm gonna make myself fat voluntarily yeah exactly that is what that is what all the trolls accuse Accuse us of doing. That's, well, uh, it, it, it doesn't help when you have actors and actresses talking about it sometimes after they lose a bunch of weight, but that's another story. Right, or gaining and losing for roles. Exactly, yeah. Um, it, it's, it's, uh, and you have, you have people like Channing Tatum who talks about how, you know what, I would love to be fat one day because um, I just love eating hamburgers so much. Uh, right. Uh, and, and, and of course he goes through his fat phase and the, and the journalist posts all these pictures of him without six packs. It's like, he's not fat, mm-hmm. he just doesn't have six-pack abs. <laughs> right. Uh, which is, uh, which is, um, I have a lot of feelings about Chris Pratt, and that's another story. Uh, oh, but, God. <laughs> but when Chris Pratt was cast as Star-Lord in Guardians of the Galaxy, he wanted to play that role the way he was in shape for, for uh, as Andy Dwyer, and James Gunn wanted that, too. Like, they felt there's no reason that Star-Lord had to be Marvel size. He could be right. um, the way he was. Uh, Marvel, of course, ended up pushing in the other direction and making him wait and everything. But I thought that was really cool that they wanted to try to, they at least tried to make a character who was the lead of the, of a Marvel movie being plus mm-hmm. size. Um, yeah. And then you get that now with, with Eternals, um, with uh, the guy who plays the, he's both gay and he's plus size. And it's, it's really, really cool. And he's in fight scenes. I mean, he's, he's, he's yeah. of course, he's of course the smart one. He's the tech one. Mm-hmm. But uh, but he's still I mean he's still there and that's that's something Marvel has never done in their movies really so for sure you know who exemplifies like f- weirdly all of these tropes we've been talking about of like fat character who can fight cuddly animal it's Kung Fu Panda yeah Kung, <laughs> I just Kung can't Fu Panda is a think great Kung film Fu Panda. it really is yeah. and and I I know that I know that a lot of people and I know you have a lot of thoughts on Jack Black uh, but I mean. Mm. I love Jack Black. I I hate Shallow Hell, but I love Jack Black and everything else pretty much. I watched The Holiday two nights ago. Oh, I, I love sat The Holiday. My boyfriend it's down nice and movie. I said, "We are watching this." I love The Holiday. It's it's so great. <laughs> I, I mean, he was he was probably somebody that I just I think looked up to is the wrong word, but I I always saw yeah. on, in movies and everything, and I was like, this guy is doing what I want to do. This is so cool. He's making movies and he's the star. And most of the time, he can do, he can do drama and comedy. It's great. Um, yeah, Nick Frost is another really great example of somebody who's that cuddly guy who can fight because he's done. Uh, there was a show that he called, did called Into the Badlands, where he was a kung fu fighter. Uh, and I don't. Uh, Nick Frost is is quite a large man, so uh, but he still did all these kung fu fights and all, and it was really really cool. So, um, since we're like literally on this, are there any other uh, representations, fat characters, places you've seen fat bodies in media that have been impactful for you? Um, I, I think as a, I think I think probably as a kid, Jack Black is somebody. I mean, just mm-hmm. he was he was he was doing all these things that I I never thought were possible, and yeah, and then. Um, 
I pretty much anytime there was a fat character in a show that I was watching, they were the person that I wanted to see more of. I wanted to same to just get more of their story. They usually didn't have the big story, so I didn't get to see it a lot. So I was more excited when that happened. Um, I'm thinking like Greg Grunberg and Felicity. Uh, like he was there and he was he was always there, um, but you never got a lot of him uh, from 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 the show because he was just the background supporting character, and and. As I got older, uh, seeing people like Nick Frost do do the movies was was huge. I, I I love British things, so I mean that that was really important uh, to see somebody like that represented. Um, I know he's probably not the most popular person, especially in musical theater cultures, but James Corden actually did a lot for me as when I was growing up. I mean, watching the History Boys, watching mm-hmm. um, his show Fat Friends that he did, watching Gavin and Stacey. These are all uh, these are all things that I was like, wow. I mean, these guys are these people are trailblazing. Uh, roles and doing productions that I want to do. And then I found out that, that he wrote Gavin and Stacey. And I'm like, oh my God, he wrote Gavin and Stacey. Mm-hmm. So he's wrote it and he, so that, and then I'm like, well, I guess that's what I have to do. I have to write my own stuff and, and make it happen. And, uh, but I just, when I was growing up, because um, I'm a little bit older than you, uh, <laughs> there was just not a lot <laughs> of, of, of things that, like, you didn't, see, like, anytime it was in a cartoon, it, it had to be an animal because otherwise the, the characters were just not um well it was either a joke or was it was terrible to be fat and like like mm-hmm. if you watch all those old like uh, action cartoons a character would somehow get magically fat for an episode because of a curse yeah. or something and and it was all disgusting and terrible and all these jokes about it so it was just it was never Ugh. a good thing to watch and and and, and grow up with um i get you know i guess i guess like an ep- like you probably have never heard of bonkers bonkers was a was an animation uh, um a, a disney cartoon um, that had uh, Bonkers, who was like this this cheetah or this cat character. He was supposed to be oh, okay. a cartoon. It, it was it was weird because it was a cartoon that was supposed to be, take place in like. Um, uh, did you ever see uh, Who from Roger Rabbit? I haven't seen it now. Uh, but you know how it takes place in like the real world with like animated characters, or like Space Jam does that kind of thing. Okay, yeah. So so this was a cartoon that was meant to be like the same thing. Like there were people, and then there were like tunes. And so, so his, his partner was a human who was a very, very, very plus size detective. And, but he was good at his job. He was, he was, he was, he had the angry fat guy trope, I guess, but he was still, Mm. and he loved donuts, of course, because he was a cop and he was a fat cop, but but he still, he was really good at his job. Like he could solve cases because the, the, his partner was the wacky zany tune who couldn't do anything. He was just there for the jokes. So he was the one who could actually solve crimes and all that. And that was that was kind of th- now that I'm talking about it, I, I don't really have a thought about that in years, but uh, this question makes me think about how that was nice to see that kind of representation with a, a competent person who, uh, who was plus size in an animation. I've been thinking hard about this stuff since I wrote my solo show in 2018. And I only maybe like six months ago was like, fuck, Winnie the Pooh, like changed my life. <laughs> Winnie the Pooh was great. Um, yeah. I, I Just think, like I forgot, I overlooked all the cartoon ones. You yeah, know? I, and I, I think I think that until you really said it, I, I did too. I think until you mentioned that on this on this chat right now, it's mm-hmm. it's not something that I really ever really thought about. Um, I think that cartoons are the place where, when we were growing up, we were able to find something that we couldn't get um, in live action. Yeah. So it is time for Cast Me Cowards, which is where you tell me one place you want to see a fat body represented in entertainment and media. It can be yours. It can be somebody else's. This could be like a dream role, but it could also just be like more general than that. Wow. One place. I have so many. (laughs) Uh, Name, rattle them Um, off. 
I mean, I would love, I would love to see. Uh, I, I guess because we talked about it a little early on, I would love to see at least one real plus size character in um, the Queerest Folk reboot. Um, yeah, because that is an area that I think really, really needed. Um, you need to see that uh, as a main character, not as just like, oh, I slept with a fat guy once, uh, and then cut, cut to right. cutaway scene is like, Ugh. wow, you're so fat. I'm gonna blow you anyway. Um, oh God. <laughs> Uh, it, it's just frustrating, but I, I mean, the original Queerest Folk was really important to me coming out as a, as a, as a, as a young person um, and being queer and all that and, and seeing this kind of thing on TV, but it just didn't have people that looked like me. So mm-hmm. I would want to make that next change with the, this new generation of Queerest Folk and have people that look like me on it. So that way people who are me growing up have somebody who can really relate to it then. Um, yeah. You know what? While we're on this, I would love to hear like how in your like regular life as a queer person has being fat impacted you. I it was really hard as a young person. I, I knew I was queer very very young. I, I knew I, I think I was twelve when I came. Um, and, wow. And, and and this is twelve in nineteen nineties, not not now. So uh, I I am so happy that people who are twelve years old now can come out and, and have resources to come out with TikTok and, and Instagram and, and all the social media that they have. It was very different in the 1990s and being 12 and coming out because uh, you had Ellen and, and, that, and we know how that's gone. So right. it's, it's very different. Um, and so I just, I, I had, unfortunately, I, I had people in my life as family who were very fat phobic of themselves because they were all very plus size and they hated themselves for it. And so, uh, like they would go through such depression being be uh, with their body types, and and it wore. I got. I had that because of that. Uh, I, yeah. I I really didn't like my body for so many years. So many years. Um. And and oddly enough, I think being queer has helped me like my body a lot more than if I were straight. Because when I got to college and 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 and, and at the end of high school, I discovered online. Of course, online. Everybody discovers online. Uh. I discovered. Um. A lot of subgroups of, of queer culture um, uh, that that were not depicted in media. I discovered um, uh, what we call uh, what, what's called the bearer scene and the, and the chub scene. Yeah, and, and these are all people that not just are plus size, but are attracted to plus size people and and see beauty in being plus size. And yeah, and I would never have found that I think if I were straight, because I would never have been in those corners of the internet finding these things. I realize people think my body is something to be attracted to. That's, mm-hmm. I don't understand that. And it took me a couple of years to get through this, to figure it out, to process it. I mean, uh, I know it seems like it's something that should be just very easy. Like I say, you're attractive. So you're attractive. No, no, it's, it's not easy. It's no, not easy at all. It's not. It's, it's so <laughs> many, so 18, 20 years of people telling you, you are fat and ugly, uh, mm-hmm. or, or not even telling you, but just acting like you are. Um, you can't get over that overnight just because somebody says you're so beautiful or you're so handsome. 100%. Especially when it's like it's online. So it feels a little more removed from your yep. life. Yep. Yeah. But so, so, so growing up is where I felt it the most. Um, as a, as I was a fat queer kid in a small town in conservative America, uh, where the only other gay person in college, in high school, was definitely not attracted to me. Um, and we were friends because, of course, gay people are always friends small towns <laughs> but he wasn't attracted to me and i i wasn't attracted to him but i felt like i had to be because he was i was in high school and 
I had to be attracted to somebody because I was gay. Uh, so therefore, this is the person I have to be attracted to. Um, but then I got to college and, and this totally changed my life when I, when I discovered these, these subcultures. And I'm like, wait a minute. This is such a revelation to me. And I am so, I'm not sure I believe them, uh, and, and, but I'm, I'm super happy about it. And, and then it turned to this thing where, okay, I accept people find me attractive, but I still am not comfortable in my body. Yeah. And that's where it comes back to uh, performing. Because once I started to perform, specifically in my series Skeleton Crew, where I put myself in a lot of um, hypersexualized situations, that forced me to take my shirt off on, on camera. Uh, and uh, I realized, you know what? This is okay to take my, to be in a bathing suit uh, and at, at the beach. I would never be comfortable at a beach walking around with my shirt off. I would, if I did, I would, I would go from the beach, uh, from the sand to the water and then quickly back again and then shove something on. And so I'm like, but after, after I, after, I mean, partially because I, I, I'm, I become to be embraced by these subcultures and realize that, People do find plus size people, fat people attractive. And because I put myself in situations where I had to um, really let go of these, these fears of mine of being on display, um, that helped me get over it in ways that I don't think I ever would have if I were straight. That, mm. If that makes sense at all. Because <laughs> I, 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 know so many, I, I know so many plus size straight men who hate their bodies and just hate, talk about how much they don't like their size and they don't want to be the size that they are. Um, but yeah. they, and, and be, again, most of these are small town people from conservative America. And they, they just, this is, this is their body. They're not going to, they're not going to go to the gym and do anything about it. They're, this is just how they are, but they're miserable about it. Um, and, and they, and they don't realize that they don't have to be. I mean, if they realize that who they are is attractive to other people is, and can be attracted to themselves then it would be a totally different experience for them, but they would never have that sort of like revelation overall. Yeah. That's, that's super interesting. And then I think a lot of times those kinds of men either do lose weight and in really unhealthy ways, develop gym bro eating disorders, mm -hmm. have a superiority complex about that, or they turn it on fat women. Yeah. And Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, I see this. And, 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 and if the they do lose the, the weight, they just are never happy. <laughs> it doesn't make them any happier. Because you, yeah. have to, you have to, they're more entitled, but not happier. <laughs> exactly. You, you have to like who you are, no matter what you look like to be happy, I think. Mm -hmm. And, and they just don't like who they are because they don't understand that their physicality is not just the only thing about them. They have to um, right. make attractive. But also when you think about it, especially if you're, especially if you're, um, especially if you are a straight man too, because like a lot of women don't are not looking for like a gym obsessed six pack sporting totally. like macro counting kind of guy at all no no so. it's a lot and i i, I can speak for a lot of queer men who also don't want that so i mean yeah and it's it's it, but i mean if you look at the dad bod trend on tiktok i mean uh, right. there's so many there's so many men who just hashtag dad bod on tiktok and and it's it's uh, they're straight. They're they realize they're, they're starting to realize that now. I think. Yeah. But it's it's a uh, it, this is something that I discovered way many years ago because uh, I was queer and I was in quarters of the internet that straight guys just aren't going to go. <laughs> so. Yeah. Honestly, thank God for the internet, though. Can you imagine being completely before the internet? Oh. I, I I I would have been so just terrified about what I was. And not understand what I was um, on the inside, um, 
just speaking just speaking from the queer perspective i mean that that's yeah without without the internet i would not have been as comfortable as i am to uh embrace my identity especially at a young age and i would have been hating myself when i was 18 going to college and just be hating myself and there there i i see uh, my mother's uh one of my mother's best friends uh was uh was gay he didn't uh, is gay um change but um he uh he uh he he got married he he had a child two children he didn't realize yeah. he, he didn't admit he was gay until he was in his 30s and it's so hard i can't imagine spending my whole life hiding that like like he i think he was my age when he came out and i can't imagine spending the last blank number of years uh, <laughs> um uh, like feeling that way that I have to be in some relationship that I'm not comfortable in or being some sort of like identity yeah. that I'm not comfortable with uh, and sneaking behind people's backs. It's just not, and, but this is all before the internet. He didn't have those resources that we have. And, right. and it's so sad. And, 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 and like your podcast, I think is such a great tool for people who are, need that idea of representation for fat positivity and, and need that idea of like, like finding, finding ways to, connect with people who are making changes in the world because you bring some wonderful talented artists on the, on this podcast and they all are talking about ways that they're trying to make the world different and and better for people who look like us who want to try to um give the next generation something new to to walk into absolutely so that brings me to my final question which is what are you doing or what do you wish people would do to combat fat phobia in the arts. Sure. Well, I I have pretty much dedicated myself to my production company, Sidekick Productions, uh, and that is all about um, doing something about fat representation in the arts. Uh, we transitioned from a theater company to a film production company, partially because I got really tired of nobody going to very very independent theater and seeing the shows it's that tough. we worked very hard on. It's so tough. So I was like, you know, if I put it online. They have no excuse. They have to watch it. <laughs> so, um, so I, I, when I created my company, Psychic Productions. It's a size-blind, uh, fat-positive production company telling queer stories. And we do, uh, right now we're doing three, three web series, all with plus-size main characters. Um, and we rarely try to, we don't really mention their size so much. Uh, it's really just more about casting them in these lead roles. Uh, and one of them is one that I produce, uh, I didn't create, uh, but it's, it's what it was produced by somebody I think you had on the show before, Ashton Monique Bernard. She yes, does yes. The Art of Blowing It. Uh, we, won a, we won a ton of awards for that show already. Uh, yeah. And uh, I do a show called Demon Doctor, where I play a plus-size demonologist. And I also do a show called Skeleton Crew, which is my very, very queer soap opera, uh, where most of the main characters are all plus-size. And it's just about showing them in... It's basically doing what I want queer folk to do at some but uh, if they're not going to do it, I will. So, but I, I think with with Psychic Productions, though, I didn't have the language. And and watching your podcast and watching other people's who do what you're doing, um, I've developed a realization that I didn't have the language when I started it, because I thought I was going to use body positivity as my as my thing that I'm talking about. But it's really not so much body positivity; it's it's fat positivity. Yeah, because. Body positivity is not is very important. I think it's something that people do, but I think it's been co-opted a lot. I think yeah. it's been co-opted by the diet industry and the gym industry. And what I'm really passionate about is talking about people who are represented positively who are fat. And that's what I think is 
what I'm really trying to do. So I've started to rebrand Psychic a little bit when I, when I, when I change things here and there. And when I realize I have to change it somewhere because I haven't changed it everywhere yet, um, see something that's a, a fat positive company. So what I'd love to see is more people doing that, more people recognizing that people have a lot to offer and don't just have to offer their bodies, but still are part of being diverse and representative of diversity. And that's sort of what we need to see is more diversity with fat people, but not necessarily to the point of all well, the only stories we tell are because they're fat. Yeah, that's very well said. I mean, the amount of gym bros who've come at me on TikTok and said being fat isn't body positive because it's not healthy. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's just, um, it's too bad because it's a great concept and it's just been so bastardized at this point. It has. It's, it's like you see all these people who are like, I've just lost 150 pounds. I'm so body positive right now. Yes, yes. They're like feeling so body positive now that I'm skinny and everybody thinks I look hot. Or worse, you get the the influencer who who went on vacation for a week and so they ate a little too much and so they're like look at this. I can't even button my size zeros. I am so body positive right now. <laughs> oh my God. It's so and, and, and I understand for some people that is traumatic. That is, it is traumatic because just as we've grown up having different body images and everything, they've also grown up that same way. But Totally. We're, we're all swimming in it. Like it is. I don't think we can, I, I almost don't think we can really fault individuals for it at this point. What I do fault people for is not keeping it to themselves, but I don't fault you for having <laughs> fat phobic thoughts towards yourself, towards others, whatever it may be. Like we're all we're all indoctrinated into this. For sure. And I think I think that's why we need people who can just change the arts. And once you change the arts, that starts to change the culture. But it takes time. Yes. Yes, completely agree. And that's why that's why we're here and on this podcast about fat representation and that's why fat representation is the hill that i will die on i'm gonna let other other folks other activists handle medical discrimination and all these different kinds of things but i think especially like as an arts person myself and as an actor myself who wants to literally represent fat bodies as my career like i think it is so so important for people to see good representation oh no it's my dog okay okay (laughs) oh hello oh. <laughs> hello what's their name this is Kay. she's actually my boyfriend's dog ah uh, well she's still right. lovely my, my my i grew up with like nine dogs in my house at any given time so you're so cute uh, okay 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 um can you go <laughs> can you go i don't know i was literally in the middle of something she's got her paw in my boobs Kay. <laughs> Okay. Dogs, dogs okay. don't care about what you're doing. They, they need attention. So yeah, I know. I know. Can you sit here quietly? Okay. She's going to be, she's going to do it. She's going to be good. Um, I don't remember what I was saying, but I remember what I was talking about. I remember exactly where I left on. off. <laughs> right. Um, so I, uh, I just think it's, I just think seeing one person representing your body in a positive way can be so game changing and seeing mm. bad representation can be so impactful that like we honestly just need to debrief all of our trauma together absolutely it's it's i, I applaud everyone who tries to do representation and, and i just i i need you just need more people to talk about uh, about it the right way um just like you need to have diversity of writers in the, in the writer's room for other issues you need to have absolutely size writers in there too you need to have fat writers in there who yes. talk about the experience or talk about it the right way Um, especially if there's a fat character on your show like please have somebody who gets it 
somebody yeah. there. So it's not just a bunch of thin people like ragging on this fat character through the material they're writing for them. Or even just, or, or, or thin people saying, I'm going to make this really great dramatic story for them. And all they do is just, they're all the dialogue is just about how unhappy they are. How like, sad Oh my God, they no are. one will ever love me. <laughs> oh, what was yeah. me? I'm so unhappy because right. I'm fat. Right, right. It's like, no, there are fat people who are happy. Right. That is just thin people writing their fears yeah. of what would happen if they got fat. That's what they think would happen. They don't know what it's like to actually cope with being in a fat body. It's their worst nightmares that they're writing. I don't know how hard it is to shop for clothes. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe it's like somebody who was fat as a kid and then wasn't fat mm -hmm. as an adult. And when they were a kid, they were like mercilessly teased yeah. for it, but never had the experience of growing up, learning to cope with it, learning to find community. So yeah. Uh, Ah, fat, fat people need to write fat stories. I will die on this hill. I completely um, agree. And that's what I do. So <laughs> There you go. There you go. So where can we watch Sidekick Productions Productions? So you can watch uh, Sidekick Productions at youtube.com slash Sidekick Productions. You can go to any of the individual shows at theartofblowingitthe-series.com, demondoctor.com, or skeletoncrewtheseries.com. Uh, you can also stream our new Fat Positive and uh, Queer Musical uh, uh, from Dooling, from Skeleton Crew. We just released our album, uh, Dueling Pianos, a Skeleton Crew musical, with 15 Whoa. original songs uh, by um, one of the best representations of fat uh, fat um, uh, singers on uh, from The Voice. Uh, season one's Nikia is my co-writer on that. Whoa, that's so cool. And he is uh, he was a, a big big person that we all looked up to um, uh, as for fat representation from the first season. Of voice so that's uh, really cool to be able to work with him and, and, and do these songs with him so you've got a lot of opportunities to do some really fun queer fat media yes beautiful and where can people find you on social media so you can follow me on instagram at sidekick productions or on twitter at sidekick prod because sidekick productions was taken uh and mm -hmm. uh those, and on tiktok at sidekick productions as well beautiful well, thank you so, so much for coming on today. This was such a great conversation. I had so Sorry, much fun. Dog oh, don't worry about that. I know dogs. <laughs> I had so much fun talking to you today, though. I really, this is a topic that I love so much and I'm so passionate about. And it, it's, I don't always get to talk to people as passionate about it as me. So thank you. Oh, amen. And that's, that's the purpose of this podcast, man. That's why we're here. I love it. So, yes. Thank you again so much, and I hope you have a great day. And I wish you all the best in Sidekick Productions' future and your future. Thank you. I wish you the best as well. Thank you so much for listening to More Than Tracy Turnblad. If you liked it, hit subscribe and leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts. That would be awesome. Also, follow us on social media, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok, all at More Than Tracy T. And just tell your friends. Word of mouth is great, too. You can find more information at morethantracyturnblad.com.